And we are back. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast, Manage Your Money God's Way. We are from Compass Catholic Ministries. We are dedicated to helping you discover smarter ways to manage your money. Whether you're in debt or free of debt, we have resources to help you reach your financial goals. And that means living a debt-free life with a sense of joy and contentment. You can learn a lot more simply by going to compasscatholic.org and find out how we can help. My name is Steve Holbrook. Well, here we are, believe it or not, the end of August. And this is a great time to begin thinking about your finances for 2021. I know we're still five months away, but it does give you time to think or make adjustments in your current situation. So to walk us through on what you should be thinking about financially, especially with the crazy year that we've had so far, is John Kennedy. John is a financial advisor and co-owner of Candor Path Financial here in Orlando, and our go-to expert when it comes to finances. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate being back on the show. And also the co-founders of Compass Catholic Ministries, John and Evelyn Bean. So let's get right down to it. We got a lot to cover today. You know, it's the end of August. There's still time. There's a lot of time that we can be preparing for the year-end tax situation. And this has been a really squirrely year from from that standpoint with people getting laid off and furloughed and and losing their jobs and all that kind of stuff. John, what should we be thinking about? Well, you're right. The first half of 2020 definitely wasn't our year. So let's let's make these last four months count going into 2021. I think with taxes specifically, there were changes at the beginning of the year as far as how withholding was done and calculated, just as an example. And that's something where You don't want a surprise come April of next year when you go to file your taxes. So maybe doing some kind of pro forma look at what your taxes are and having an understanding of if if I had changes at the beginning of the year to my W-4 and that resulted in a net change to my paycheck, we want to be aware of that. And, you know, sometimes it feels good to get a little bit more in your paycheck each month, but that's going to have a pretty big ripple effect when it comes to owing taxes later on, you know, next year at this time. A lot of people got stimulus money. Does that count as income? That does not count as income. That is an advanced tax credit and and it's a refundable tax credit, which I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the show before between the difference between refundable and non-refundable tax credits, but it is it's not going to count as income and it's not going to hurt you if you're getting a refund next year at this time when you're filing your taxes either. So think about that. Like if you normally get a thousand or $1,500 back on your taxes, I know we all want to try to make it zero, but that's not often easy to hit. Um, But if you were to get a thousand dollars back, your advanced tax credit that you received is not going to deduct against that. A non-refundable credit would potentially hinder what your refund would have been. But because this is a refundable credit, it's not going to impact that. So this is like when we go to the bank, we go through the drive-through, and we've got the kids in the car, and they get a free lollipop. It's a free lollipop. Yeah, it is. That's a that's a great that's a great analogy. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Not sure. I think of taxes as being a lollipop, but I'll go with you on that one. <laughs> well, it's it's rare too to see it given um, in advance. You know, that's that's not common. We saw that with the Affordable Care Act with healthcare, where you'd get advanced premium tax credits. Um, so it's a little bit similar to that, but it's not normal for people to get their tax, basically the tax credit a year in advance. If you think about it, a lot of people were getting that in, I think it was like the end of March, the beginning of April when they were getting their tax credits. So it's well, about not- a year sooner than they would have gotten it. Nothing about 2020 has been normal so far. It so that's just kind of fits year. in. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I want to do my taxes. I want to figure out what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. 
what's the best way to do that? How, how, how can I go about it? I mean, normally I have somebody do my taxes and, and uh, you know, as, as just a normal everyday kind of person who wants mm-hmm. to kind of figure out knowing that my income has been reduced and, and all that kind of, how do I go about kind of getting a sense of what my tax return is going to look like? I think the easiest way to do that would be to look at your latest pay stub and look at the year-to-date data on there because you'll be able to see how much you your gross earnings were, how much your tax withholding was, your federal tax withholding. And then from there, you know, so if you're if you're doing this in the month of August, you can then try to estimate or forecast September through December. And you can look at the real data from January through August and try to come up with a determination of how much withholding versus how much income that you're going to have. So if I take the month of August when I get my last pay stub and it shows me month to date and then year to date, and I just take that year to date number, so that takes me through August, then Mm -hmm. I take August and multiply it by four, Mm -hmm. add it to my year to date, that'll give me a close approximation to what my year end number is. But then how do I calculate my taxes? Do I go on and pull up the the 2019 form and just run through that quickly? Or uh, is there software out there? What's What's the best way to do that? There is, and it can get really complex. But to be honest, using even just a simple Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. where, you know, it's it's a marginal tax bracket that we're in, right? So a certain amount of income, the first level of income is 10%, then it goes to 12% and 22% and so on. So you can run those numbers in an Excel spreadsheet and get a real-time number on what your taxes are projected to be, which, you know, at the end of the day, even if even if you don't make any changes to withholding, but you do that simple exercise to see what your tax damage might be in April, that's half the battle. Just understanding and knowing in August what your tax bill is going to look like in April, that gives you time to prepare. So even if you don't adjust your withholding, it at least gives you a sense of knowledge of, okay, this is what my taxes will in fact look like. And if I'm going to, oh, now I've got eight months, right. basically seven months to to save up. Seven the, months? Well, you got four in 2020 and you got three in... Um, you just have four in 2020. No. Well, but then oh, you don't saving. have to pay your taxes yeah. till April. To save the money, but you can't, yeah. Right, you, you still have, have time yeah. to, to consider or make changes or do stuff. Because yeah. even, even after January, you can do things like IRA contributions as an example. So then it kind of comes into the strategy. Okay, well, what, what else can we do uh, like making an IRA contribution? So it gives you the rest of 2020. And then really those, you know, up until April 15th of 2021 to make any kind of IRA contributions. So you can make IRA contributions in the next year for the past year? You can, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Not that we have now, IRAs to contribute to anymore. <laughs> now, again, 2020 was such a weird year because you could actually, they deferred everything until July 15th. Yeah. So you could have been making a contribution on July 14th or 15th for 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So one of the things you should look at then is your IRA contributions. What about charitable giving? Does that go up until tax day or that ends at the end of the calendar year? And that ends at the end of the calendar year. What we've noticed from a charitable giving standpoint, you typically do that because you're, that's on your heart. You're inclined to do that. Getting a tax deduction for that these days, just it's not as common. The tax reform that we saw happen in 2018 eliminated a lot of one's ability to write off your charitable giving unless it's, you know, the new hurdle if you're married filing jointly is, is 
24,000 and some odd change as far as like being able to itemize. And that's where charitable giving would go is on your itemized deduction schedule A. What about healthcare? Should I be doing anything with healthcare at the end of the year to prepare for 2021? It depends. If you have an employer-based plan, probably right around now, maybe September or October is going to be open enrollment time for the vast majority of, of employers in the United States. So you want to be looking at all the different options that they're going to provide to you. And we'll get into that too, because there's a lot of different company benefits that you want to make sure you're maximizing going into 2021. And frankly, like that time, that annual enrollment election that you get that one month to make those elections for the next year, that's the only opportunity you have. And if you miss that, you've got to wait a full calendar year to, to sign up for stuff again. If you're not on an employer-based plan, as we record this show today, who knows what healthcare is going to look, you know, the Affordable Care Act and healthcare is going to look like in 2021. It's one of those things that it's kind of like a year-by-year analysis at this point. But it will be something on everyone's radar in October, November, and December because that'll be open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act as well. What about my employer's 401k or if I'm in a nonprofit type of 403b? Yeah. I've, I've always been concerned, and especially this year with so many businesses that are failing, how should I handle all the money that I've got in my 401k as a general thing? And then if my employer matches you know, any percentage, should I be putting that in company stock or should I be putting it in other stuff? What's the safety of my 401k? I, you know, I'm sure we got a lot of people out there that, that that's a huge concern for them right now with the things the way they are. The good thing about Retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs these days is that you, you're you not specifically limited, in most cases, limited to just the stock of the company. And even if they default to investing in the stock of the company, you can, from there, diversify it out into a, a different array of options that each 401k is going to provide. So a lot of times you'll see 10, 15, 20 different options in terms of what you can invest in, different types of sectors, indexes, things like that. So you can diversify away from a company if you're concerned about that. But I think it probably goes more to just the personal level, your own circumstances, what's going on in your life. We love the idea that somebody can continue to make their contributions specifically to get the match. We know that that's that's free money by getting your match. We love that someone can continue to do that but the only way that they can continue to do that is A, if they have employment, and then B, if they have a proper emergency bucket set up. You know, I mean, you guys talk about prioritization of you know, the different buckets where your money should go to. And although it's fun to get free money and put money in the retirement plan, we've got to make sure we have an emergency bucket. And if we don't have that, or if we had to drain that because of everything that's happened so far this year, we need to be thinking about filling that up before we start adding to the 401k. But so I love the option, but it's all just a matter of personal priorities and what's going on in one's life. And if we really do believe that having your emergency bucket is the biggest priority, which I personally do, then we we can't abandon that strategy either. So if my employer is really teetering on being able to stay in business, how secure is my 401k? Well, the good thing about 401ks, they're, they're considered defined contribution plans. So it's not like a pension plan where you're worried about is the company going to become insolvent and thus not be able to pay out my pension. The 401k funds that are in there are your funds. So if the company, if a company goes out of business in this example, you would have the ability to 
move your 401k into you know a personal IRA. You could do what's called a rollover into your own IRA uh, and and keep those inside of a retirement plan. So you, you, you in that sense, you'd be okay. The big risk would be what's the underlying investment of the 401k. If you own 100% company stock in the 401k and then the company goes under, big time problem. But you would never want to own 100% of anything in your 401, would you? Of course not. Yeah, that flies in the face of everything we talk about when it comes to <laughs> diversification. The only scenario would be if an employer forced you to, but I haven't heard of those scenarios since probably the early to mid 90s. Can a person not, I mean, the advantage of going through your employer's 401 plan would be to have the matching funds. But can a person invest in a 401k or a 403b outside of their employer if they don't get matching funds? Yeah. Well, so you could invest in like an IRA or a Roth IRA. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. The, I think the other advantage of an employer-based plan is the contribution limits are a little bit higher. So in an IRA, if you're under the age of 50, you can do six up to $6,000 depending on where your income level falls. Or if you're over the age of 50, you can do catch up and it totals to 7,000. But a 401k or a 403b has much higher Limit. So if you're really trying to funnel money away for your retirement, especially if it was on the horizon in the next few years, I think that's another big advantage of a, of a company retirement plan. Well, the other big advantage is the money comes out of your paycheck before you get your paycheck. So you yeah. don't see it. It's not like a conscious it. decision. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that brings up a good point. What if I'm retiring, thinking about retiring in the coming year? Aside from probably a lot of sleepless nights as they're approaching, as they're approaching retirement with all the volatility, I would still say that going back to and relying on the plan, you know, if there were if someone's retiring at the end of this year, they're not doing so haphazardly. They're not just picking a date on a calendar. There's a lot of planning that goes into that. They're most likely understanding what their expenses will look like in retirement, understanding where all of their incomes are going to come from, whether it's social security or pensions or retirement plans. So I guess for me, it goes back to the question of, is is the market volatility that happened in 2020, if that's enough to shake the confidence of of someone's ability to retire at the end of this year, at the beginning of next year, that on one hand might be a sign that the portfolio is possibly too aggressive. You know, that, that's a, that was a really good gut check time to see in the, in, you know, when, when we did the show back in March, we were seeing historic swings in the market every single day. And from high to low, depending on which index you looked at in the United States, it was down anywhere from 32 to as much as 40% from high to low. So that's a big gut check. And if your portfolio is down a third at that point in time, and you were preparing for retirement at the end of the year, yeah, that's 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 probably scary. And it might have been a realization that the portfolio was too aggressive to begin with as you approach retirement. You know, we all talk about getting more conservative as you get closer to retirement and then move into retirement. Now, as as we do this show, might end up presenting a good opportunity. Who would have thought just four or five months later the markets would be back from where they were at the lows of March? So if that was a really big gut check to learn that we were maybe too aggressive maybe now presents an opportunity to rebalance because the markets have come back up the way they have. But I think it all leans back to your personal situation and your own planning, you know, making sure that you've got enough runway. We've talked about this on the show before too, having 12 to even 24 months of cash in the portfolio to be able to sustain your 12 to 24 months of your expenses, to be able to sustain that lifestyle that you have, mm-hmm. to understand what does a crisis budget look like? How can we, with a flip of a switch, turn our expenses into a crisis budget mode 
so that we can maybe get, you know, if you have 24 months of, of emergency in your portfolio, maybe you can get 36 months out of it if you move into a crisis budget. Well, especially if the 24 months is on the not crisis budget. It, it all kind of goes back to that planning. If those, if those planning elements haven't been thought through and done, then yeah, someone might be really teetering on the edge of, I'll just work another year. You know, we'll just, we'll add more to the retirement plan. We'll work another year or two. We'll try to just delay everything until we can smooth out this ride. But really, statistically, I think it's every seven years we go through a recession. It's scary. It's hard to be in the midst of one, but it, sh- it shouldn't, if all the other planning elements are done correctly, it shouldn't impact your ability to retire. So is this the seventh year? Actually, it's 12. It? In this case, it's been, yeah, it's closer to 12. And I think so. I mean, the, the actual metric of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And it's hard to see how we wouldn't be in the, experiencing that. So yeah, I think we're in one. But it, recession doesn't have to be a, a scary word for the long term. If you believe in the markets and you believe in diversifying, then it's, it's all going to be okay. But I like what you said because retirement isn't, oh, here it comes in six months, now I have to plan for it. Retirement is planning for it years and years and years in advance and having that long-term strategy, which is where I think a lot of people fall short. Yeah. They have a very short-term view of what they need to do to retire and it's time and then it's panic. Yeah, someone might might wake up on a Monday morning and say, hey, I'm ready to retire or I want to retire, but emotionally being ready and then financially being ready are two different things. The financial component is planned for. You would hope. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. Emotionally being ready might happen every Monday morning. Yeah, of course, exactly. But I also see people where they're not emotionally ready. They're financially ready to retire, but not emotionally. They enjoy their work, and so they they keep doing it too. So that's the flip side of that coin. Yeah, we know some people who did that for quite a while after they retired. They worked as a contractor, yep. doing the same job they were doing for another five or ten years. You mm-hmm. know, One of the things that I was thinking about, for somebody who hasn't heard us talk before, and we just talked about having a year or two years worth of emergency fund cash, basically, liquid, liquid uh, assets that uh, we could get to in the case of emergency. Explain how that works and why that, because if if I'm just sitting out there and and I'm banking on earning as much income as I can off my investments, I know that if I've got it in cash, it's not going to earn hardly anything at all, maybe one, two, three percent. Why does it make sense to have as much as two years in liquid assets where because it's not going to earn any money? Well, maybe that's the thing too, where we talk about if someone's on teetering on the edge of if they should or shouldn't retire, if they don't have that 12 to 24 months runway, maybe then that's the big thing that they work towards building up because it is hard to justify looking at your overall portfolio and saying, okay, we're going to extract whatever that number is, but let's just use 12 to 24 months, but we're going to extract whatever that number is. I'm going to make up a number, $150,000, and that's going to sit in cash and just earn what a money market and a savings rate earns. The importance of that, though, it's it's you know it's risk return, but the importance to that is being able to sleep at night, being able to know. We all just lived through what happened in March of 2020 with the stock market, seeing that big slide down, and waking up in the morning and saying, "It's going to be okay because <laughs> I have two years runway before I need. I am separated from these decisions of what's happening in my portfolio. This is a long-term strategy and a long-term plan." Otherwise, if you don't have that runway, 
you might have been reacting to what was going on in the stock market, which means, and I don't just mean like emotionally having a bad reaction. I mean like going in and doing something in your portfolio, which could have been detrimental. Yeah, if uh, th- the point of it is that that uh, if you don't have that runway of one to two years and you are retired, so your only income right now, maybe you retired early, so you're not even getting Social Security, the only income you've got is what you pull out of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And if your portfolio just shrank by 30 or 40%, then that uh, share that was valued at 100 now is only valued at 60. You might have to take two shares yep. in order to get the amount of money you need to live on where before you could do it with one. It exacerbates the problem. It makes it even worse because then you're taking you're taking a bigger percentage of the portfolio out because the portfolio is not worth as much anymore. Exactly, exactly. And then when the market starts to go up, you've not only did it go down, but then you took stuff out when it was down. So you don't have nearly as much in there. Uh, it could it could go back to a hundred percent of the value from a systemic standpoint, but your value might only be seventy five percent. That's a great point. So that's why we talk about having cash. I think some people get lost in that. It doesn't make any sense to them, but I think it's really important to understand that. John, I want to circle back for a minute to uh, employment benefits. What kind of other things should I be looking at? I mean, we talked about how we've got our retirement account set up, but what other things should I be looking at as far as employment benefits? Well, there's so many different benefits that uh, companies are providing these days, whether it's things like prepaid legal service at a really um, discounted rate or even something that's relatively new, and I think we might have talked about this on a prior show, but student debt paydown strategies, similar to how they match for a 401k, we're seeing companies essentially match for paying down student loans. Um, so there's a lot of different things. We, we all just sort of traditionally assume health insurance, retirement plan, and those are the two staples, but there there's, there's so many other options out there too. And something I'd like to mention, which is very actionable, everybody from this show can can take this and do this, whether it's employer benefits or outside accounts, but doing a beneficiary check and audit of all of your accounts. They suggest that 80%, I don't know who they is, but there was a study done that 80% of beneficiaries are either inaccurate, outdated, or not even listed at all. And that's a, I mean, as you guys know, we talk about setting your, getting your house in order. That's a, that's a big swing and a miss if we don't have our beneficiaries updated regularly. And I would say even, I mean, life circumstances change all the time. I mean, even if you looked at that three or four years ago, it's still worthy of just making sure that stuff's updated correctly. Well, that should be part of a yearly check. I mean, you should really go through that stuff every year, even if you just eyeball it and say there was no change. Uh, absolutely. But it's so easy to forget that. We have, we have two young children at home. Our second son was born. Next thing, I mean, it feels like it was yesterday. He's almost a year old now, you know? So we need to talk about a yearly check. A year Wait until they by. get older. It gets faster. <laughs> yeah. He was ready for opening day. I saw that. You uh, know? Yes, yes, he was. We were excited about that in our household. Big baseball fans. You're talking about updating you your beneficiaries and stuff. you first open up your retirement plan, th- this Everybody is should be receiving You, you first start working with a company. From you open up a retirement plan. They their, match. Uh, you put money in. And you look at the account at the end of the year and you go, wow, the, there's a thousand bucks. There, I'm not going to worry about beneficiaries. Brokerage then you blink be 20 years go them, by uh, <laughs> and there's a million dollars in there this is what and it you is. still don't have Make a beneficiary. That's yeah. usually Even though you've got a wife and four kids. Yeah, that's usually where and why it goes on. And it sounds to me like most people just say, 
question. That's another piece of paper. Are the boom, it's gone. Um, unemployment benefits Well, and the hard part is it comes taxed. at different times we, of the year. We kind of so need we to circle back to that one. Yeah, thanks for asking that. that. So different July, than the advanced and then we get tax credit, which is you know, not the beneficiary statement that's a tax credit. Your unemployment benefits in January. So what happens in our household? We get that. Look at it briefly. When you get those unemployment benefits, are they going with holding on them? It's not something where you're making an intentional effort to look at all of them across the board. I'm not sure. So let's assume they don't. The other yeah. thing too so, is, yeah. so I would expect that if somebody's uh, unemployed, they're going to max, go for the max that they're going to get. And in some cases, that money was more than they were actually earning as a salary. So when we talked about tax consequences mm-hmm. for 2020, a, a person who received uh, multiple unemployment checks could actually have made more money at the end of the year than they did last year. Yep. And if there was no withholding, that could be a big oopsie. So we want to make sure to be looking at that. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the the great amount of knowledge that you have and your ability to bring it down to our level. Well, thank you, So thanks very much. John Kennedy, thank you so much. And, of course, John and Evelyn, thank you as always. We hope this has really helped you now prepare for filing season 2021. You still have several months before you have to file, obviously, enough time to make any adjustments that need to be made. Our recommendation, our advice would be for you to meet now with your financial advisor, your CPA, your accountant, and talk about what adjustments do I need to consider now before the tax season begins? What should I be thinking about as we approach 2021? And I believe John and Evelyn have time to answer one of our emails before we leave it today. John and Evelyn, I'm 28 and single. How much life insurance do I need? The purpose of life insurance is to replace the income of the breadwinner. So if you're not married and you have no family uh, obligations, you really don't need to have a specific amount of life insurance. I would think the only reason you might want to buy it now is to get it before you could possibly have a serious medical problem and the insurance would be either more expensive or impossible to get based on that health challenge. But outside of that, I agree with you. If you're single, no obligations, you don't need it. And just buy the least expensive policy that you can get. Always term. John and Evelyn, thank you so much. Now, if you have a financial question for the beans, simply email your questions to ask, A-S-K, at compasscatholic.org. For John and Evelyn Bean, want to thank you so much for downloading our podcast. We have a brand new one for you each and every Wednesday. To find it, easy. Go to compasscatholic.org. Scroll down to the homepage and you'll see a button that says podcast. This is Manager Money God's Way. We are from Compass Catholic Ministries.